All right, Luke 17. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostle said, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants, we have only done what was our duty. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do love you and we do praise you. We want to thank you so much, Lord, for your word this morning. We want to thank you for the testimony of baptism this morning, Lord. We want to thank you for an opportunity to slow down this week and uh, put a focus on you and your goodness and say thank you to you. Sometimes the, the world spins by so quickly and we're so busy that we forget to stop and pause and say thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the blessing that you've given us. Lord, for your word this morning, we want to pray for Pastor Steve and ask that you'd bless him as he brings it. Bless us as we hear it. Help us that we would not be hearers of the word only, but doers of the word. Lord, we thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, it's important to note that when Rob said you're confined to your seats for 45 minutes, he was rounding down. That was just like a... That was just a number he was throwing out. So if it, at the 45-minute mark, you can't just get up and leave. I may be going well past 45 minutes today. Maybe not. I like that he said 45 minutes. It's a nice goal. I'm going to aim for it. But you have, to, you have to sit here and listen. Even if it's 55 minutes or so. One of the things the New Testament tells us um, that we don't like to deal with, we, we, it, it makes us feel uncomfortable. One of the, one of the, one of the things that the, there's many things the New Testament um, expects of us um, that make us feel uncomfortable, and, and one of them is that we have a responsibility to one another. We are, we are, we are responsible to each other. We are responsible to help our church. So you're responsible to help the people sitting in those pews with you, your brothers and sisters in Christ, the ones that are in your biological family, the one that you're married to, but then also the ones that you just go to church with. Um, you're responsible to help them grow in holiness. They're responsible to help you grow in holiness. You're responsible to help them grow in holiness. The, the New Testament is clear Jesus wants us to be a family that fights against sin together. 
Jesus expects us to be a, a family that helps each other fight against sin, grow in holiness, finish strong. We are in this together. What He's going to do for us in these verses, in these ten verses, is Jesus is going to give us five ways to be a family that fights against sin together. Jesus is going to give us five ways that we are to be a a family that fights against sin together. So that's what we're going to work through this morning as as we consider these ten verses together. First way to be a family that fights against sin together, number one, watch your mouth. Watch your mouth. He says in verse 1 to his disciples, he says to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. So he's saying, yes, yes, absolutely temptations are going to come. If you're going to live in the world, if you're going to live in the world, then then you're going to be tempted to sin. Temptations are going to come to to you, to, to sin. Um but woe to the one through whom they come. Verse 2, it would be better for him if a millstone, this, this, this giant, heavy stone, were hung around his neck, which is really impossible. So Jesus is using a little bit of hyperbole here to show just how, how, how forceful he's being, how important this is to him. He says it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. There is, this gives us this sense of just how precious the people sitting next to you in church are to Jesus. If your wife or your husband belong to Jesus, this gives us just a sense of how precious they are to Jesus. If your, if your children belong to Jesus, this gives you a, a sense of just how precious they are to Him. We, we are Jesus' little ones. He is, He's very protective of us. We are the ones who He spilled out His blood to redeem. And so, what we see from these opening verses is that Jesus expects us to be invested in each other's holiness. Jesus expects us to be protective of each other's holiness. So we're used to the idea of fighting for holiness by ourselves, right? This this internal struggle to be holy. We're used to that. And we're also used to being invested in each other's happiness. Like if new people come to church, we want them to be happy. We want them to fit in. We want them to make friends. We want them to have a place to serve. We want them to be a, a part of us. If if something goes wrong with a family in church, we want to help them out. We want to we want to give them a ride to the hospital if they need it. Or we want to bring them food. Or we want to let them know we're praying for them. We want to check in on them. So we're used to we're used to protecting each other's happiness. We want them to have joy and comfort. We, we're used to that. But Jesus, and that, and that is very good. I'm not downplaying that at all. But Jesus also, obviously here, wants us to be invested in each other's holiness. Jesus spilled out His blood 
to redeem us, to sanctify us, to make us holy, to present us without blemish or spot before the throne. So Jesus is saying here, so, so, so be careful what you say. Watch your mouth. If temptation is going to come, and it is, make sure it does not come through you. Make sure it does not come from you. So men, we don't encourage our friends to, to enjoy a little bit of lust. We don't act as if it's okay if, if one of our friends checks out some woman that he's not married to. We don't, we don't, we, we're, we're very careful to make sure that we're not encouraging someone to sin. That temptation's not coming from us. Ladies, we don't, we don't encourage your, you don't encourage your friends to, to trash your husbands behind their back. We don't, we don't, we don't gather together and talk about all the ways the, the husband is disappointing us. Teenagers, we don't, you don't encourage your friends to disobey their parents. You don't do that. You don't laugh at it. You don't accept it. It's not fine. It's not normal. Temptations are going to come. We make sure they're not coming from us. Jesus died in order to present your Christian friends faultless before the throne. And so He can't say it any more forcefully than He'd rather you die early than tempt your brother or sister to sin. He can't convey how protective He is, how invested He is, in the holiness of His church, He can't convey that any more strongly than to say it'd be better to die early than to tempt your brother or sister to sin. So we have to remember that we need to be invested in each other's holiness. And so, number one, we, we watch our mouths. That's the first way that we're going to be a family that fights against sin together. We watch our mouths. We make sure temptation's not coming from us. We're careful. Number two, this is where it gets fun. Alright? See, so if you're waiting for the fun part of the sermon, here it is. Number two, rebuke your brother if he sins against you. Start of verse three says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, in the New Testament, we have this idea already. We're probably familiar with it. There are some verses where if, if, if your brother or sister is caught in a sin, those of you who are mature go and try to, try to bring him up out of it. Try to restore him. Try to rescue him out of it. And, and there are other, other um, times where Jesus says if someone has sinned against you, you, you go to them. Here, the idea um, mostly is about if someone sins against us. So there is a there is a word in the you know there's 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 teaching in the New Testament just for someone who just sins in general that you kind of see them sin and you're and it seems like no one else is going to call them out on it and it seems like they're blind to it so you go and you you address it but here the context is very specifically if someone sins against you what do you do in that case you rebuke them you rebuke them I bet that's not something that you've thought about very much. I need to go rebuke that person. That might not even be a word that you use very much. 
to rebuke them. All it simply means is you, you, you go to them and you tell them that they've sinned against you. It's literally only the idea of saying, here is the way you have sinned against me. Say, I don't want to do that. This is a good word for you then. I, I bet there's very few people in this room who think, yeah, that sounds like fun. I'm going to go do that. Most of us, this makes us very uncomfortable. But if you can hear me, then you need to hear this. If your brother or your sister sins against you, you need to go rebuke them. And right now you're thinking, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to. can't make me. Well, I'm not the one telling you. Jesus is telling you. So we have to remember that. He's telling me as well. But I also want to, for a moment, convince you of the brilliance of Jesus' plan. I shouldn't have to convince you of it because it is Jesus and He is wisdom personified. But let's think through the brilliance of Jesus' plan for a moment. Let's just say that you are frustrated with someone. Let's say you're frustrated with someone. And we're going to make this totally imaginary and completely impossible, so we're going to pretend that you're frustrated with me. Alright? It's not going to happen. I know that. I know. This is just silly make-believe, right? I know I'm not the kind of person people get frustrated with. You don't need to tell me. It's fine. There's a bunch of you frustrated with me right now. Um, So let's say you're frustrated with me. So now you have to do some mental work. We... um, we don't have a lot of time to talk about this this morning, but we don't do a lot of mental work. We don't do a lot of careful thinking. We don't, we don't, we don't do a lot of careful thinking. We don't, we don't sit down and write out things, like what we're thinking and whether it makes sense. We, we don't spend, we spend way more time on the internet than we do thinking clearly. Jesus is calling us here to think clearly. To think clearly. So if you're carrying around a frustration with me, if you're frustrated with me, here's what will happen if you do not go through the process of of thinking about rebuking me. If you don't go through this process of what it would look like to rebuke me, then you're going to carry that frustration around you, around with you, and, and one of two things is going to happen. Either it's going to become sinful bitterness, you're going to become bitter towards me, Or you're going to discuss that frustration with other people and it's going to become sinful gossip. Instead of coming to the person who offended you, you go to other people and you talk about it. That's sinful gossip. That's wrong. Or you carry it around with you and you just harbor resentment and bitterness against me. That's also wrong. That's the opposite of what King Jesus is telling us to do. So if you want to obey Him, you have to come rebuke me. Now, here's the beautiful thing. Because once you decide, okay, I need to go and rebuke Steve. I need to obey Jesus. I need to go and rebuke Steve. That's when you have to stop. And you have to think out, what would you say if you were to rebuke me? And this process is a wonderful process for us because it helps us to stop and think 
and discern whether or not we've actually been sinned against. It could be that you're frustrated with me and it just feels like sin. It feels like, it feels moral. It feels like I just sinned against you. But, but, but it's really good for us to stop and try to shepherd our feelings with logic. As much as possible, try to, try to get a lasso around our emotions with clear thinking. It's important. And so you go through this process and you say, if I was to go rebuke Steve, what would I, what was it, what, what did he do? Why, why am I so frustrated with him? Why am I so angry with him? Has he sinned against me? And it could be, and this is, this would be completely shocking, it could be that just my personality gets on your nerves. That's bizarre to me, but I've heard, I've heard of this happening. It could be that I just don't see things the way you do. It could be that I've made a mistake. Or I communicated something in a way that wasn't the clearest. Or I didn't seem super kind. It could be, and I know this has happened many times, and this is not a joke, it could be, I was going for humor, and I failed. I was going for like sarcastic humor, and it didn't land well. It might not be sin at all. Or, or maybe it could be, Technically classified as sin, but as you, as you think through it, you realize, now this is not something that I need to rebuke him on. This is a, this is sort of like a one-off sin. This is not a pattern with him. It wasn't intentional. He was, he was impatient and he was unkind, but it wasn't like he wasn't going after. It was, it's fine. I can just let this one go. This is a wonderful clarifying process for us to go through. We have to figure out should I rebuke this person or should I not? Now, it's very possible that you go through this whole process and you realize, I don't need to rebuke anyone, but it would be good to have a clarifying conversation with them, talk about a misunderstanding, ask for, ask for clarification, something like that. But considering, going through the mental process of figuring out whether you need to rebuke someone or not will help you keep from bitterness. It will help you keep from gossip. It will help you keep from sleepless nights. It will help you keep from sinful anger. I strongly encourage you, when you're frustrated with someone, consider what it would be like to rebuke them. If you were to label their sin to them, what would you call it? If you were to say to them, you've sinned against me, and here's how you did it. And, and, and I, I believe that for, for our relationship to, to, to be joyful and for, your, for you to grow spiritually, you need to confess this sin. To go through that process, to go through that conversation, you have to kind of have it clear in your mind that they have truly sinned against you. you may discover that they haven't. It'll be a very helpful process to go through. Now, where it gets really difficult is when you go through that mental process and you realize, yes, they have sinned. Yes, I don't think they realize, I don't think they realize what they've done. They don't seem to be sorry about it at all. And it's, this is something that they, they intentionally 
hurt. Steve said something. He said it with harshness. He said it with arrogance. He said it with self-righteousness. He didn't, he said it with no patience whatsoever. And he continues to do this kind of stuff. It's gonna be bad for him. It's gonna be bad for his family. It's gonna be bad for the church. I, I need to say something to him. I don't want to, but I need to. And so you do. And so you do. And, and another reason this is great is because it makes us, it automatically, naturally makes us to stop and to think, are there ways where I've sinned? Are there ways where I've, before I go and talk to him about this, are there ways, are there things that I have done? And, 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 and that's a very humbling, clarifying process as well. This is just, this is a brilliant plan Jesus is laying out here. This is for your, this is good for your just emotional well-being. This is good for your spiritual life. This is good for sleeping at night. This is good for your relationships. This is good. Do this. And come to me and say, Steve, you were, you were very harsh. You were very impatient. You, you, when you spoke, you sinned. You sinned against me. You insulted me. This is not the way Jesus would have you speak with people. It's not the way of the Word of God. It's not the way of a follower of Christ. And I, and I, I would love to just let this go, but I can't do it. Because I, I would end up harboring resentment against you and, and you would, you would very likely just continue to do the same kind of thing with others. We can't have that. It's a hard, hard conversation. And here's where you are tempted. Here's where I am tempted. We are tempted to say, no, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. That's awkward. That's weird. That's uncomfortable. I don't want to think I don't want to think about sin that much because if I think about sin that much, I must start thinking about my own sin. I just, I don't, I don't want to do, I just don't want to do any of that. Nope, 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 nope. But here is the truth. We cannot pursue holiness the way we're supposed to by ourselves. The New Testament is clear. This is a community project. This is a family thing. We are... We are in this together. We are in this together. We grow together. We're growing up into the knowledge of Christ, into maturity together. We, we, we encourage each other. We stir one another up. We, this is, we have to do this together. If we isolate ourselves, just because we get frustrated with someone, we're gonna end up all by ourselves. Or we're gonna end up with very, very weak, sorry relationships where we don't have any of those conversations that really strengthen us, that really encourage us, that really kind of, kind of recalibrate our thinking. We don't, we, like, other people, other people help us tremendously because we are blind to our own sin. And so if we cut ourselves off from other people just because it gets awkward, we are stunting our own spiritual growth. We are stunting the growth of the people who sin against us. Jesus says, no. Do the hard work. When your brother or your sister sins against you, you go rebuke them. We are a family. We need each other. 
That's the second way we've got to do this. We're going to be a family that fights against sin together. We've we got to rebuke brother. He sins against us. Here's the third way. Number three, forgive your brother if he repents. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. This describes someone who is eager to forgive, who wants to forgive they want that relationship restored. The reason they rebuked their brother in the first place is not because they're against their brother or against their sister. They're for them. They're against the sin. And they want to see the, the brother or sister push that sin away. This is, a, this is about holiness. This is about us growing together in godliness. This isn't about one-upsmanship. This isn't about showing that I'm better than you. This isn't about anything like that. This is about wanting that good, sweet friendship with our brother or sister in Christ. And this is about wanting the sin to be put away. Now we, in our sin, so many times we refuse to forgive each other. We refuse to forgive each other. In fact, we, we refuse to rebuke each other because we don't want them to say they're sorry. We don't want to forgive them. We like the idea of, of being superior. Of feeling morally better. This is the Pharisee in us. This is a Pharisee way to live. This is not the way of Jesus' followers. We, we, in our sin, our sinful nature, we like, to, we like to be able to hold people's stuff against them. Not Jesus' followers. This is not the way for Jesus' followers. This is, Jesus' followers can't wait to forgive. They can't wait. They're eager to forgive. We, we eagerly forgive each other for the same exact reason that we courageously rebuke each other. Because we want to help each other fight against sin. So if someone sins against you, there's a couple of ways you can cut them off. A couple of ways you can cut them off. And, and remember, by cutting them off, you are isolating yourself from another portion of the church. You're isolating yourself from another potentially helpful relationship. You're cutting yourself off as well. But there's a couple of ways we can do that. One, you can refuse to rebuke them. You cut them off by refusing to rebuke them. You don't tell them that they've sinned. This increases the chance that they'll just continue to sin in the same ways. And then two, you cut them off by refusing to forgive them. You don't restore the relationship and you leave them isolated to fight against temptation all by themselves. This is not the way of Jesus' followers. We, we rebuke in love and we forgive in love. And we do this as often as they repent. Now, I mean, obviously, a bunch of things come to our mind when we talk about this kind of stuff. Unfortunately, and this happens too often, unfortunately, people don't always repent, do they? I mean, you can, you can go as humbly and as prayerfully and you can say, I'm not saying this because I've got the Christian life mastered and, and even in that, that, that situation that I'm talking to you about, I, I recognize I sinned against you in it as well and I am sorry. I didn't, I didn't, I, I should, I should have been a lot more self-control than that. I am sorry and I'm sorry about the thoughts I've had against you since then. I'm sorry. And so you're humble and you're careful and you and you, you you're not emotional about it. You just you kind of diagnose their sin. You say, This is how you sinned against me. 
And I, and, and I firmly believe it's the best for you to, to repent of this and to, to confess it and to fight against it and to move on. It's best for your holiness, best for your happiness. And so you're as, as, as humble as you can be. You're as clear-headed as you can be. You're as prayerful as you can be. And they don't want anything to do with it. They just get angry. That can happen. It happens too much. It also happens where people say they repent and they, they don't actually fight against that sin. They just say it to kind of get you off their back or whatever. They're not actually repenting. And then it kind of gets messy as well if you're trying to figure out what does it mean to forgive someone who, is, who has responsibility, who has leadership. So for instance, if I as a pastor commit adultery or steal money from the church or I, I use my position to bully or berate people or manipulate people in some way, and I repent, and you forgive me, does that mean that, oh, I can just be a pastor again? Uh, no. I mention these things to highlight just how difficult it is, and you could mention a bunch of other things that makes it difficult. It's tough. And so this is why, if you're thinking right now, if you, if you just stop and think about your friendships right now. Think about your relationship with your wife. Think about your relationship with your biological family. Think about your, your best friends that are Christians. Why don't you stop and think about those relationships right now? When's the last time you talked with any of those people about your own sin? In, in specific ways. When have you ever, when's the last time you confessed a specific sin to, 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 just to a member of your family or your closest Christian friends? When is the last time, and not your children, that doesn't count. I call my children on their sin all the time. That doesn't count. When's the last time with someone your age you would you 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 humbly, clear headedly rebuked their sin? We shy away from this, even with the people who are closest to us. We end up having superficial, surface level friendships even within our own marriage. Even with our, the closest, the people we've been closest to forever. Because it's so difficult to even try to process this, to try to just, just, it's just better just to kind of silo ourselves and to say, you know what? They're gonna fight for their holiness over there. I'm gonna fight for my holiness over here. We'll talk about football. Jesus says, no. He says, no, you need each other. You need to be working together as a family fighting against sin. So, where do we find the strength for all this? Because if you're, if you're taking this seriously, I mean, I'm, as I think about it, it seems beyond me. It seems beyond what I can do. What do we, where do we find strength for this? And that brings us to the, the fourth way that we are to be a family that fights against sin together. Number four, find your strength for this in God. Find your strength for this in God. The apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And I think we know 
why Luke has this right here. Jesus is laying a very difficult, a very high, a very huge expectation on his followers, and they're like, Lord, give us more faith. (laughs) If we're going to do this, we're going to need a lot of help. Increase our faith. Give us more faith. And the Lord said, "Eh, it's not about how much you have. The Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about who your faith is in. Any size faith will do. We're not proud of how big our faith is, how great our faith is. Any size faith will do. You simply need to believe God. Has God has God given you this command in His Word? And has God promised that He would give you the strength you need to obey His commands? Is, is, is God just telling you to do stuff that He's not going to give you the strength by His Spirit to do? Or, or is God going to keep His promises? Is God going to be faithful to you? Will He give you the strength you need to obey His commands? If the answer is yes, then simply believe Him and move forward. It's not about how much faith you have or how good you are at having faith. It's about who your faith is in. And so maybe right now you don't really have any spiritual friendships. Maybe even the person you're married to. You just you never talk about sin and repentance and growing in godliness and the forgiveness that we have in Christ. You just you never talk about the gospel or what it means to walk worthy of the gospel. You just never talk about that with each other. You don't have anybody that you're confessing sin to. You don't have anybody that you're helping fight against sin. You, you have friends and you love each other, but you're all dealing with your own sin by yourselves. Not the way Jesus has commanded us. And so maybe it would seem like right now it'd be easier to throw a tree into Lake Michigan and have it grow there than to do the hard work of real spiritual friendships. Jesus says you need to believe that God is the only one who can give strength for this and that He will give strength for this and then you move forward in obedience. It's nothing, there's no, there's, there's nothing mystical about it. Will God keep His promises? Will He do good work in you and through you? Can we trust Him? If the answer is yes, move forward in obedience. And then number five, Find your motivation for this in God's grace. So we find our strength in God alone and we find our motivation for this in His grace. Jesus throws this nice little parable on the end here. Verses 7-10. through It took me a second this week, or it took, well, a second. It took me a long time this week to sort out why in the world Jesus put this parable here. It's a nice bridge. It's a nice bridge between this, what Jesus says here, and what he's gonna, what's going to happen next week. I'm looking forward to next week's verses. I can't wait to preach on the ten lepers next week. It's a great Thanksgiving weekend sermon. Jesus says, Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, Come at once and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? You're the servant. Serve me. That's what a, that's what a master is going to say. He's not going he's, he's to say, oh, you've been doing your job all, 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 all day. So I, No. 
You do your job because you do your job. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Finish your work, and then have your dinner. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? When we, when we pulled up to church this morning, do we thank our tires for getting us here? No, they just did what they were supposed to do. Verse 10, So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. One of my favorite parables in the Bible. This recalibrates me, recenters me so often. Because part of the reason I don't want to do the hard, awkward, messy work of helping other people fight against sin. I don't want to do the, I don't want to do, I don't, I don't want to rebuke someone. I don't want to repent of my sin. I don't want to forgive anybody. I don't want to do that stuff. I just want to, I just, just leave me alone. I'll do my thing. You do your thing. Let's just say hi to each other and have that be good. Part of the reason we don't, we don't do what Jesus is commanding us to do is because we don't want to. What's in it for us? Why is this worth it? Why don't I just make new friends? If, if my friend sins against me, do I really have to go through all this awkwardness of rebuking them? Do I have to go through the, the, the humbling process of thinking about my own sin? Do I have to go through all this? Can I just find a new friend? The point here is that it is worth it because our king told us to do it. Why do we do it? Because our king told us to. And when we stop and think about it, we realize that we are truly unworthy servants. The only thing that makes any sense for us is to obey Jesus. When we remember that Jesus is the one who created us, Jesus is the one who gave us breath, Jesus is the one who humbled himself to die for us when we had rebelled against him, Jesus is the one who has saved us from eternal torment in hell, Jesus is the one who has promised us an eternity of joy beyond our wildest dreams, Jesus is the one who has given us faith to believe him, he's the one who sustains our faith. Keeps it going, and he's gonna give us the reward for our faith someday. Jesus is the one we saw a few chapters ago who's going to, who's going to have us sit. And he's gonna serve us dinner. He's gonna dress himself to serve. Jesus is the one giving us strength to live for him right now, and Jesus is the one who has spilled his life blood to make us his. When we remember that, we, we say to ourselves, no matter what I sacrifice for him, no matter what awkwardness I have to go through, no matter what, 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 uh, just, just difficulty I have to go through, no matter how much this costs me, how could we possibly want more? How could we, how, how could we be looking for any more than what he's already given us in his grace? We consider this and we say, we are unworthy servants. We could serve wholeheartedly for the rest of our lives and still have far more that we've been given than we could ever pay back. We obey because we've already been given grace upon grace upon grace. So when Jesus says to us, get in there. Do the hard, loving work of rebuking sin. Do the hard, loving work of forgiving your brothers and sisters. Get in there. We remember His grace upon grace upon grace and we say, we are unworthy servants. We'll do anything you ask of us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. We pray that you'd help us to believe Jesus when he says this is the way to go. Help us to believe that. 
and help us to push against our own inclinations. Help us to push against those. And help us to remember how much You've given us in the Gospel. Help us to be content with all that You have given us in the Gospel. Help us to say, it is well with my soul. And we consider all that You have done for us. Help us to say, it is well with my soul. So I'm going to get in there. I'm going to obey. I'm going to do what Jesus has commanded. I am an unworthy servant. I can never pay Him back. I never pay Him back. Help us to consider carefully the grace that we've been given. And then I pray, God, that You would help us to band together as a family and to fight against sin together. For Your glory. In Christ's name. Amen.